right, good evening. How's everyone doing? All right, good evening to those, or good morning, or good in the middle of the night to those listening online. And we want to thank those especially who are listening, who are overseas fighting for our freedom. And so we're excited tonight. Um, today's a cool day. From what I understand, it is um, Chuck Norris's um, birthday today. That's a fact. Okay, so um, I'm pretty sure you guys can Google that. And uh, my, my daughter came up to me the other day, and she, she's, she's weird. Um, she, she, my daughter, um, she's like me. She's weird. Um, she loves, like, eight, or 80s music, 70s music. She, I mean, she'll go to a, a roller rink. I remember when she was in fifth grade. She's a freshman now. She, when she was in fifth grade, she went to the, the school roller rink um, party. And they're playing Justin Bieber, and they're playing Disney stuff, and um, all that kind of stuff. She rolls up to the DJ and says, do you have any sticks? Do you have any Queen or Van Halen? And he's like, uh, uh, yes. And he just pulled it. So she's a little different that way. And so she loves the whole Chuck Norris fact. So she came up to me the other day and she's all, Chuck Norris was born May 6th. Today's May 6th, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Chuck Norris was born May 6th, 1945. And Germany surrendered to the Allied forces May 7th, 1945. Coincidence? I don't think so. And I was like, that was awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so today's Chuck Norris's birthday, so it has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about, but you got to say Chuck Norris stuff. Um, we're, we're rolling through the mine. We're rolling through Journey 180. We're almost to the end of that journey, that 180 day journey, the five-month journey that we've gone through the Bible, and we've taken it all the way from the very beginning, and we've followed that um, signpost, and we've passed the signpost that says Jesus, and now we're in that sort of 60-year period post-Jesus that the entire New Testament was written in. So everything that happens in the New Testament happens between around 30 AD and around um, 95 AD. In fact, everything was written probably in a 40 year um, span. And so we walked through a couple things this last Sunday. We walked through Paul's missionary journeys and we actually uh, concluded a little bit on what we did um, last Tuesday. If you have, if you have not on the back table, you have two handouts. Um, one of these and one of these. This is actually from Sunday. This walks through what we did on Sunday. It gives an outline of Paul's three missionary journeys. And so we're going to we're going to catch you up a little bit on that because Paul's missionary journeys actually dovetails into what we want to talk about and that is the church plants. Okay? And if if you haven't um realized it already, as you look in the New Testament, after you get past the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you get to the historical book in Acts, which we're going to be in again tonight, after that we got you got a series of letters. You got a series of letters written to churches, written to individuals, and, and written to the general populace. Okay? And they were written on all different occasions by several different authors. And then we conclude the New Testament with the one prophetic book, Revelation, which we're going to be digging into um, um, coming up in the next couple of weeks. So let's go ahead and look at this real quick, and we'll highlight this. As you look at the New Testament, again, the first four books are more um, biographical. They're the Gospels. They're the story of Jesus' life um, um, while on earth. And then we get to Acts, which is a historical book. And then, and these aren't in any um, apparent order, you've got the epistles. And epistle means letter. you got the epistles that Paul wrote, okay, or that have been attributed for the most part to Paul with not too much debate. Um, Romans. 
and Romans was written to a church, the church in Rome. You got the Corinthians, both the first and the follow-up letter, written to the church plant in Corinth. You've got Galatians, written to the church in the area of Galatia. You've got First and Second Thessalonians, written to the church in Thessalonica. These were all written by Paul to specific churches. Paul also wrote a couple others to churches, and he did these. The reason why um, the first three are highlighted in blue is he did these while he was in prison. Okay, so these are the prison epistles, as they would call it. Um, the letter to the church in Ephesus, the letter to the church um, in Philippi, and the letter to the church in Colossae. He also wrote one letter to an individual while in prison, and that was Philemon. Paul also wrote a couple letters to individual pastors. But again, it still has something to do with the church plants, because these were pastors of church plants, and that's um, um, Timothy and Titus. Okay, and then we get to the general epistles. These were not written by Paul with possibly the exception, with possibly the exception of Hebrews. Hebrews is debated whether it was written by Paul or written by someone else. Um, there's, it's not attributed to Paul necessarily, but um, linguistically it sure sounds like it's something Paul would have written. Um, Hebrews is just, um, why we call these the general epistles, is this just written to a general populace of believers? Not identified to any one individual, not identified to any one specific church plant. And so Hebrews um, would have been possibly an additional one that Paul wrote. Then we've got the letter written by James. Okay, Now this is not either one of the James that were apostles of Christ. This was the James who was actually the brother of Jesus who wrote this letter. Jesus had two half-brothers. Two half-brothers, James and Jude. Both of them wrote a letter. Um, We get the two letters that are attributed to Peter. And again, this is written basically to all believers. Uh, these These letters vary in what they are about. Some address faith issues, some address perseverance, some address um, um, personal issues. And then we've got 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John written by John. John wrote five of the New Testament books, John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. Those were the last five books written in the, in the New Testament. And the reason why John wrote those, not that he, he wasn't a good writer, but by that time he was actually the only one left alive. And so we'll get into that. So those are the, the basic epistles that you will see um, in the New Testament. And so as we look at these, you need to just get your mind out of modern context and realize that these are letters. These are letters addressed not to individual churches, by the way. When we say the church in Ephesus, it's not First Baptist Church of Ephesus on 3rd Street. Okay, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about all the believers, All the believers. The way we do church today is a little foreign to how it was done in in the first century. There aren't a bunch of different churches, different denominations, different locations. So when Paul's addressing a letter, he's addressing it to all the believers in that city or as Galatia goes in, in that specific area. And so as we start looking at, um, these church plants, we're going to follow along. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts, um, Actually, let's go back a little bit because we want to catch you up on something we talked about Sunday and we weren't able to get to um, last um, Tuesday night. Um, as we're going through Acts, we, we understand that Acts 
is sort of split into thirds um, according to Acts 1.8. The first part of Acts 1-7 through 7 really deals with the church and their focus on Jerusalem. The church is in within Jerusalem. Acts 8-12, through 12, now the church is stepped out of Jerusalem and they're actually in the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria. After you get past chapter 12, church is now scattered and, and, and the rest of Acts is dealing with the church going around the world. So we walked through last week and we talked about the Holy Spirit coming down and, and how the apostles and how the church was just growing. We gave you, which is back there, we gave you a little um, mock flyer of what a church mailer would have looked like back then, even though they didn't do church mailers back then, obviously. Um, we talked about um, the, um, the, the healing of the healing powers of the apostles. We talked about the apostolic message and how every message you would see from the early church was really the same message in Jerusalem. It was the same message. It was a gospel message and they were winning Jewish people to Christ. And so much so that even the Jewish people that were from foreign lands, even the, even the ones that have come to visit um, for the festival of Pentecost or, or the other festivals, they would be so enthralled and so excited that they've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Many of them didn't go back home and they stayed in Jerusalem. And so the early church started sharing their belonging and sharing their needs with these people that didn't even, they just, they just, Hey, I'm, I'm going to live with you for now. And, and that's what, that's what happened. And the early church was exploding and it was exciting and um, great things were happening. The apostles um, or the believers were sharing possessions. And then we get to chapter 5, and they're sort of like one of those, you know, the record players. Remember remember those? Uh, as they're playing a nice song, and all of a sudden it's like, just stops. And we get to this Ananias and Sapphira moment. And we're like, oh, that is hardcore. And we walk through that um, Sunday morning and, and really walking through, why, why, why is this so hardcore? And if you if you, if you don't know the story, here's Ananias and Sapphira, and we've already talked about the believers are, are, are laying money at the apostles' feet, um, tithing to the church. I mean, and, and, and when I talk about tithe, that's typically 10%. The New Testament, as you look at what they were giving, it, there's a heavy indication that it was more than a 10% tithe. It was a heavy sacrificial type giving that was happening. People were selling their, their land and they were laying it at the apostles' feet. And then we get this story of Ananias and Sapphira who decide to, to be part of the joy and be part of the giving to the church, but they, they wanted to bring some attention to themselves and they held a little bit of it back and they, they ended up lying not only to the church, but they lied to the Holy Spirit. And we see a moment where, where Peter just looks at him and, and the Holy Spirit through Peter looks at him and says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, the next thing we're reading is the, is the um, ushers coming forward, taking their dead bodies out and burying them. Now, I know it was a little more brutal back then, but seriously, imagine, just imagine being here on Sunday morning and it's the purple chairs. And people are coming up and grabbing their bricks. And some dude rolls up and he grabs a brick. And he says, I've given my 75. And all of a sudden, Lynn just like stops everything. is like, you are lying to the Holy Spirit. Boom, ushers come forward and they just drag him out. Imagine that scene. Imagine the press on that one. And so all of a sudden, we... We see this fear grip people going, oh. And as we looked at it, 
Sunday morning, we compared it to what happened with the Exodus. And as the, the early believers, the early followers of, Christ, of God back in the Exodus, and we talked about that four months ago, as they are leaving Egypt, they basically walk into a boot camp situation. And as we look at the laws, especially as you look through Leviticus, and you see some of the strict laws. And it was seriously just a boot camp situation. And, and the foundation was being laid accurately. And people knew that the God of Israel was holy and just. And, he, and it's not a game. It's not some religion. It's not something we practice or we play. God is holy. And a lot of times we look, and I was talking to my friend Bill today, and a lot of times we look at um, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and a lot of people go, man, the God of the Old Testament was so mean, and the God of the New Testament was love. Well, chapter 5 Seems like the God of the Old Testament. And by the way, we can point to some Old Testament times, Hosea, where, man, that, that seems like Jesus. And here's what we need to understand. God doesn't change. God hasn't changed from the Old Testament to the New. And so as now, we are starting something new. We've, we've passed the Gospels. Jesus has died. He was buried and he rose again. And now as a new foundation is being laid, a foundation laid by the apostles... We're going back into a little bit of a boot camp situation. And if what happened in chapter 5 would have, would have been able to be left unchecked, the church would have been built on a crooked foundation. And we saw Lynn um, this Sunday describe what happens if you let something go that's crooked. And before you know it, it's unrecognizable. And so the early church, pretty early on, Got a full dose of, okay, yes, this is fun and people are coming to Christ. But God is still holy and God is still just. And it's a very serious matter. And then we get to chapter 6 and we get to the, the flip over there. We get to chapter 6 and we get to the choosing of the seven. And we won't take too much time because we've got to get into the rest of the topic. And we now see that, that um, the, the Grecian Jews or the, the Hellenistic Jews are arguing, are arguing against the Hebraic Jews. And they're saying, well, our widows aren't getting the same treatment that your widows are. And finally, the apostles said, we don't have time to deal with these matters. So let's appoint seven men among you to deal with these matters. And this is the first example of what we would know today as deacons. And you have these seven individuals, and notice all their names are Greek, and they're, and they're going to be handling the logistics, the business of the church, while the apostles are going to continue to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And then we get to our first hinge point in the history of the church, and that's starting in verse 8 of chapter 6, as Stephen, one of the newly appointed deacons, or elders, is seized. And we, we won't read through it tonight, but if you look at chapter, from this point on, read through chapter 7, as Stephen is ushered in. Now, this isn't one of the original apostles. This is one of the guys that was elected by the body. 
And he comes in and he stands in the very X marks the spot that Jesus stood in, in front of the same people. And he's asked to make an account for what has happened. What, what, what is the early church preaching? And if you ever want a defense of the faith, if you ever want to see someone preach the word and the Holy Spirit just flow through him, read chapter 7. I used to make our youth group just lay, lay down on the ground and close their eyes and I would just read Stephen's speech because it is powerful. And he basically just journey 180s it from the beginning and he just lays it out for the Sanhedrin and he connects the dots. And then he does something that would cost him his life. He looks right at him and he calls him out. He said, just like our ancestors Ignored the Holy Spirit. Look at what you did. The Messiah walked right in front of your eyes. And you murdered him. They grab Stephen. And they bring him out. And they stone him. They grab rocks. And they throw it at Stephen until he is dead. A couple points that that are interesting there. Remember when... The exact same people stood in front of Pilate... And what were they asking Pilate to do to Jesus? Crucify him. Issue capital punishment. Why? Because they couldn't. It's interesting how just a couple months later, they had no problem stoning Stephen and murdering him. And so I want to read just in chapter 7, verse 54. And let's pick it up as he's being murdered. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, you want to underline this, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stop. Here, here Stephen is and he's getting pummeled. He's being murdered. I can't... I can't imagine how horrific it must be to be stoned to death. And he looks up and what does he see? The glory of God in heaven. And then what does it, what does it say he saw? Jesus. And the only time in all of scripture, Jesus is not sitting at the right hand of God. He's standing. At one moment in time, Jesus has, or Stephen has Jesus' full attention. And Jesus is standing there looking as the first martyr of his bride, the church, is dying. Look, he said, I see heaven open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. Three-year-olds do that. And they rushed at him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats and feet at the young man named who? Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When they had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of the killing, of their killing him. Here's your first martyr. Here's the first person that gave their life for Jesus in the newly founded church. 
The church that was booming, the church that might have had 20,000 members at this moment in Jerusalem, because God kept adding the numbers, boom, 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 boom. Everybody's having fun, everybody's sharing, and all of a sudden, reality hits. Starts with Ananias and Sapphira, God is holy and just, and then, not to be outdone, Satan makes his presence felt. And from this moment on, persecution just started being unleashed. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So remember how they were supposed to go? Well, now they're getting pushed to go. Um, They're now in Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And from chapters 8 to 12, we see... Paul, Paul going crazy, persecuting men and women. We see Paul's conversion, which we talked about, or Saul's conversion, which we talked about on Sunday morning. And then we get to chapter 12. And right at the top of chapter 12, we see that we find the second martyr. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, so this is one of the, this is one of the key inner circle disciples, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Okay, but Peter ended up escaping. And so we see the church now out of Jerusalem. They're scattered throughout the world. Um, they're starting to, to start to um, hit plants in Judea and Samaria. And now we get to chapter 13. And Barnabas and Saul, now Saul has become a Christian. Saul has become a Christian. Imagine that, by the way. Remember how after 9-11, when we found out it was Osama bin Laden, many Christians, and I'll admit, I would, on my inside too, oh, I hope he burns in hell. Actually, we should have been rooting for his salvation. Because here you got here you got a Saul who persecuted, murdered men, women, and children, drug them out of their homes. Imagine that guy getting saved. Imagine what would have happened if Hitler got saved. Imagine what would happen if Osama. Imagine that. And imagine now Osama bin Laden comes back and starts witnessing in the United States of America. That's not going to go well. Imagine if Hitler started coming back and started witnessing, assuming he got released from jail, um, started witnessing to the Jews. That ain't going to go well. Well, here's Saul, accepts Jesus. He spends some time away as he starts connecting the dots in the Old Testament. And then he comes out on fire and he starts witnessing. And eventually Saul would become Paul and become the greatest evangelist of the time. Imagine going to one of those revival meetings. And here's the guy that murdered your cousin, maybe murdered your wife, and he's up on stage and he's telling you about Jesus Christ. This is an interesting time in the church. And we get to this church in Antioch. And we talked about this on a Sunday morning once. And in chapter 13, verse 1, now now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, 
Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. You'll notice they weren't casting lots anymore. You notice that they were actually now waiting upon the Holy Spirit's guidance. And the Holy Spirit looked at this church and said, you know what? You got two people that I need. That's another hard decision for a church to make. We talked about that when we talked about the anonymously famous churches and how Ebenezer Baptist, how they could let Martin Luther King go when, man, he could have drawn so many people to that church and made it a mega church. Or how Latrobe Presbyterian could have ever let their children's guy, Fred Rogers, go out away. But yeah, Mr. Rogers changed television for children all over the world. And here is another one of those anonymously famous moments where a church said, you know what, even though we would love for Saul and Barnabas to be on our speaking team, to be leading groups, to be leading small, we're going to obey the Holy Spirit and let them go and see what happens. And you could put your thumb right there and lift the rest of the Bible. This is what happens. This is what happens because a church in Antioch decided, you know what, we're going to be anonymously famous. We're going to listen to the Holy Spirit even though it might hurt us. And yeah, Antioch disappears off the, the pages of the New Testament. And so now we see chapters 13 and 14. If you have your, if you have your outline, you see as Paul or Saul and Barnabas are sent out. And they leave Antioch. Now, Antioch was the church that sent them. And so Paul or Saul, who had eventually become Paul, would always return to Antioch. They would so always end the journey in Antioch. That was sort of his base. That was his sending base. We see in um, chapter or chapter 13, verse 9, his name was changed to Paul. Have you ever wondered why Saul went to Paul? Remember Acts 1.8? You were to be my witnesses where first? Jerusalem. Jerusalem's filled with what? Jewish people. Then you're going to be my witnesses where? Judea and Samaria. Filled with what? Hebrew people. And then what? To the rest of the world. Filled with everybody. But in this time of age, filled with a lot of Hellenistic Gentiles. And so Paul is the Greek name. And so Paul or Saul changes his name to Paul. And now he's going to go start and minister. And if you look on the back side of this, you can sort of see a map as Paul just starts, starts his journeys. And he starts moving from town to town. And this is the first we see church plants. Now we see churches being planted in Antioch and the surrounding cities. But now churches are being planted far away. And you can just, if you look on the back of this map, don't, don't follow follow any of the lines, but look at all the, these, these cities. A lot of these cities had a church in them. Remember, the only, there were more church plants than just what's listed in the New Testament, what had a letter written to it. There were churches in Berea. 
There were churches in Sparta, Corinth, Del- I mean, Athens. There were churches in Rome. There were churches in, and we see in Revelation, there was a church in Pergamum, a church in Thyatira, a church in Smyrna, Ephesus, Laodicea, Philadelphia, Sardis. Anywhere the way which ended up becoming Christianity moved, they would plant churches. And those cities would turn, those cities, the believers in those cities would meet together daily. And so Paul, as he's going on these missionary journeys, he's going from city to city. And we first see this happening in chapter 13, that Paul would start what is sort of his modus operandi. He he would first go into the synagogue, and then he would go to the rest of the city. Typically after he got kicked out of the synagogue. And then let's read through chapter 14, because this gives a great example of what church planting is. And by the way, we still plant churches today. Cornerstone is a church plant. Every church at some point was planted by someone. And here at Cornerstone, my role is pastor of missions and outreach. And, and we have three, three big buckets that, that, we, that we put all our missions money in. We support frontline ministries, frontline missionaries, parachurch organizations, and missionary couples and singles all over the world. We send leaders, staff, elders, leaders overseas to be part of missions. And those are, we, we know many of those trips, India, Haruma, Jamaica. We're going to be starting Cornerstone, Mexico. But what many people don't know is an additional third of our budget goes into what's called Vision Arizona, church planning. We give money so other churches can be planted throughout Arizona. And eventually, once we hit Arizona, we're going to keep spreading out. Our sister churches in Arizona are all church plants, and they're all part of the Vision Arizona. They were all planted by Vision Arizona. You look at Cornerstone. Sun Valley is a sister church of ours. And a church plant. Rock Point is a sister church of ours and a church plant. Mission Community Church is a sister church of ours and a church plant. Church of Celebration. And and, and on and on. And we've got multiple church plants. And each year we try to plant more in Arizona. And so here we see church planting 101. Let's go to chapter 14. And we'll start in verse 1. And I want you to just see a day... In the life of a church planner. Because it's crazy. And some people back then were probably, oh, Paul deserves this. He needs to get a little bit. At at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, again, this is their modus operandi, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. It's not talking about Paul and um, Barabbas. It's talking about the other believers. So Paul and Barnabas, I think I called him Barabbas, Paul and Barnabas um, spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Now, so as Paul and Barnabas, they, uh, sometimes they would be in a, in a city for a week, sometimes a month, sometimes a couple years. 
And they would speak boldly. They start in the synagogue. And once they got kicked out of the synagogue, they would go into the academy if the city had one. Or they would go alongside um, a river. Or they'd go, they would go somewhere. They'd go into one of the rich people's house that, that had room. It, they would find anywhere and they would preach the gospel over and over and over and over again. And the way they would preach the gospel was two ways. If they were talking to Jewish people, um, they didn't really have to retread a lot of the Old Testament. But if they, ta- if they were talking to the Greek people, man, they had to go all the way back to the very beginning. Many Jews and many Greeks believed, but the ones who didn't believe, what did they do? They poisoned the minds. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with the leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and they fled to Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. So people tried to kill Paul and Barnabas. They got wind of it and they went to the next city. Check out what happens in the next city. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. Now, for teenagers, that meant he was disabled. He wasn't just lame. Um, He listened to Paul and he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. That is awesome. Okay, so as we saw in the previous cities... Paul would preach boldly, Barnabas would preach boldly, and often they would accompany the message with signs and wonders. Why? Because there was not this at that time. There wasn't a Bible for someone in the audience going, yep, that's God's word. So what would have to happen, this happened in the Old Testament with the prophets, is signs and wonders would happen to let people know, okay, these people are of God. When the supernatural is happening, okay, God, the Holy Spirit is speaking through them. And so here, here Paul, different city, this guy's listening to him. Paul notices that he has faith. And Paul says, stand up and walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, in Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. And check this out. I love this. Barnabas, they called Zeus. And Paul, they called Hermes. Because he was the chief speaker. Okay? So just to unpack that a little bit. Okay, so Barnabas, who did they call? What was he? Zeus. And Paul was Hermes. Okay? Or... Jupiter and Mercury, depending on, okay? I find it funny that Paul was the one preaching and Barnabas wasn't doing anything but standing there and yet they thought he was Zeus. They thought he was God and Paul was his messenger, which is funny, but in Greek culture at that time, it was often thought that God was silent and his messengers were the one that spoke for him. The other gods spoke for Zeus. Zeus didn't speak. These others spoke. So they looked at Barnabas and went, that must be God. That must be God in human form. And this guy 
That's Hermes. That, that, that's, his, that's, his, that's his ambassador. That's his speaker. And in fact, if you look back in Greek mythology and you look at some of the poets that wrote about 50 to 100 years before this incident, there was a story of Zeus and Hermes coming down in human form and one family in an entire city accepted them and brought them into his house. And everybody else rejected. And so then after that, Zeus... And Hermes decided to bring a flood and to destroy everybody else except for this one family. And so there's a very good chance um, that as they're looking at this situation, these people are going, oh, this is happening again, and I'm not going to reject them this time. And so it's just an awesome story. Then the priest, it gets better, verse 13, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside of the city. Remember, these people, they're no longer in Kansas anymore. Okay, these people are worshiping Zeus and Aphrodite and all these other. So there's temples to these gods. He brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he, he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Okay, you're going to see a change real quick in Paul and, and Barnabas. Because at first, they're preaching the word. And then, this guy is healed. And then the crowd goes ballistic. And we can just sense this celebration. And people are calling them gods. But what language are they speaking? Something that Paul and Barnabas don't understand. So they're just standing there going, oh, this is cool. And everybody, and everybody's excited about this. And, oh, they're bringing bulls. Oh, this is different, but this is okay. And they're just, and then all of a sudden, they start catching on. And watch this. They start catching on. Well, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the, out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless, uh uh-oh, from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he was not left himself without a testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. And then here comes the wet blankets. Then some of the Jews came from where? Antioch. They're following them. And Iconium, remember the previous city, and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after um, the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. That's Paul. Oh, I'm going right back in. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Okay, check that scene out. Okay, so remember how we talked about Jesus comes into Jerusalem? Hallelujah, riding on a donkey, everybody's praising his name, the Messiah. Um, everyone's excited, and then those exact same people, just a few days later, crucify him. It happens again. Here comes Paul and Barnabas, and, and they're preaching the good news. The people misunderstand what they're all about, just like they did with Jesus. And they start celebrating. And then when Paul finally says, oh, no, no, no. This isn't about religion. This isn't about Zeus and Hermes and 
why is he Zeus? And, and, and this is about Jesus. And all these other things are worthless idols. And then when the Jews come in and they start twisting God's words, it didn't take too long for hallelujah to go to crucify or in this situation to Paul being stoned. Teens. Nearly murdered. And so they drag him out. And if I was Paul, this is one of those, when I go to sleep that night, at, I don't know what it feels like to be, have rocks thrown at you. Um, I can imagine him laying in bed going and looking over at Barnabas, who apparently didn't get stoned, by the way. They called you Zeus and they stoned me. That's awesome. But here's what I love about Paul. What, what happens the very next day? Yeah, probably looking like Rocky. And he just goes right back in there. And you'll see that over and over and over again. And it wasn't just Paul. The early church get beaten, have family members destroyed, get persecuted. They would consider it pure joy and then whoosh, right back in. Verse 21. Remember, they've left now for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won large numbers of disciples. Then they returned where? Came back again to Lystra, Iconium, and then finally in Antioch. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And then listen to what Paul says. And he's got the bruises to stand by this statement. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord and whom they had put their trust. And after going through um, Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word to, in Perga, they went down to Atlanta, whatever. And, and then they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together. Remember, this is that anonymously famous. And, and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stared there a long time with the disciples. And this happened over and over again. As you look at the, as you look at the outline, you'll see in chapter 15, they, they get into the Council of Jerusalem and they settled to the discussion on, 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 on what are some of the regulations because a lot of the Jews wanted the Gentiles circumcised and all that. But then they went right back out, right back out and, and, and they went out and on the second missionary journey, they went on the third missionary journey and they kept going and churches were being founded in Ephesus and Laodicea and Berea and Antioch. It's just powerful, powerful. The church in Athens, the church in Athens is one of the coolest, one of the coolest um, stories in the Bible because we see Paul and we and we see as he as he preaches to the Greeks at the Areopagus. This is like this is like the Harvard. This is where the greatest minds of the world gathered around and they talked. And they talked philosophy. And here comes Paul and he stands up there, chapter seventeen, and he starts talking about philosophy to them. 
And he starts looking at all these idols and he sees this one to an unknown God and he uses that. And he starts preaching about Jesus. He doesn't preach to him like he would have in a synagogue. He preaches to them where they're at, where they're mentally at. And he starts walking through this whole idea and people are being saved. As you continue to go through Acts, you see all the missionary journeys and then you see a moment, another hinge point, where Paul, in chapter 21, the Holy Spirit warns Paul not to go back to Jerusalem. Paul actually disobeys. He doesn't lie to the Holy Spirit, but he, he disobeys and he, he goes back to Jerusalem. And there the missionary journeys in because Paul ends up being arrested. And for the rest of Acts, we see Paul arrested. And we see as Paul is now ministering, he's writing letters. He's still writing letters back to these churches, encouraging them. Letters back to these pastors, encouraging them. But Paul's missionary days are pretty much done as far as traveling. Who knows what would happen if he would have listened to the Holy Spirit there. Remember, Paul was not perfect. Who would have known? There might have been a fourth, a fifth, a sixth journey. Who knows? But here's the other thing as we look at this and we're running out of time. Paul was not the only one. Remember how we talked about from Genesis chapter 12 through the rest of the Old Testament is really just a story of one family, Abraham and his descendants? It's because we're following a thread leading up to the Messiah. Well, here in the New Testament, especially in Acts, we, we see a, something similar where once we get out of Judea and Samaria, we're really just following Paul. We're really just following Paul. Notice we don't follow Thomas off into India. We don't follow um, Bar, or, or, or Bartholomew. We don't follow Matthew. Why is that? Well, there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, you don't need to know every single story they happened stuff that was happening to paul was happening to these other um, apostles as well churches were being planted by other apostles as well the gospel was being spread by other apostles as well and so and so god just gives us paul here's what happened with paul as an example and Luke, who ended up becoming a companion of Paul, is the historian that lays this out. And you notice at the beginning of Acts, he writes, writes this to a specific person. Now, why is that? We don't know. There, some believe that this is actually Paul's defense. That the book of Acts, and quite possibly the book of Luke is Paul's defense as he's appearing in court in front of the in front of Rome. And remember when you look when you look at the very beginning of Acts. Who's he writing to? Look at the first four. Theophilus. You see it in Luke as well. Who is this Theophilus? Now it could be a random it could be nobody. It could be just all those who love the word, but it could actually be Someone who was involved in the court case against Paul. And Luke was commissioned to give testimony as to not only what did Paul and the early church do, but why did they even do this? Hence, Luke. Here's the story of Jesus. We don't know that for sure, but that it seems like a, a great possibility. But as we look at Luke and we look at the um, Acts, we see just one incredible historic story 
of God's love in Jesus coming down to earth to live amongst us, to die for our sins, to be buried, to be resurrected. And we see the sequel in Acts, the early church taking that foundation and running with it. And we see, as God was adding numbers daily, those who would turn their life over to Christ. And Acts is a phenomenal piece of work for churches to study. Not many messages, by the way, are ever given out of Acts. But it's something the church actually should be studying. How did they do it? And we look at these early... Stephen, James, martyred, Philip. He was scourged, thrown into prison and crucified. Matthew, he was slain. James, the other James, was stoned by the Jews and finally had his brains dashed out with a fuller club. Matthias was stoned at Jerusalem and then beheaded. Andrew was crucified on an X cross. That's why we call it the St. Andrew's cross. Mark was dragged through the streets in pieces. Peter crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded with the sword. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew was crucified after being cruelly beaten. Thomas was thrust through with a spear. Luke was hanged on an olive tree. Simon was crucified. John, he died of natural causes. Doesn't mean he didn't get persecuted. Tradition says he was actually placed in a boiling cauldron of oil. Over and over again, we see the early church spreading the word of God in the most horrific persecution you could ever imagine. And it only got worse. But it was because of what they did and how they did it that eventually people started turning over. As these people are sitting in the Colosseum with their big Super Bowl tickets watching these Christians being eaten by lions, they're also listening to these same Christians singing psalms. Smiling in some cases. And it sticks in their hearts. And before you know it, an entire empire flips. And here's the crux of this. We are still the church. We have that same Holy Spirit. We might not have as much faith, but we have that same Holy Spirit. We have the same message. Have you noticed that the early church's message is no different than what our message is supposed to be? Same message. Same God. Same Jesus. Who is God? One missionary once said, the the problem with the church in America is that people aren't dying for the gospel. And so we become lackadaisical and we go, ah. But there are still people around the world who are being martyred for Jesus Christ. Not fired, not bullied, martyred, killed, beheaded, tortured, over and over again for the name of Jesus Christ. And anywhere in the world where that's happening, there's an explosion. There's an explosion in the church of growth. So what do we do? And and to be honest, I... I always say I need to preach with a mirror. Um, I'm not 
I'm not one of those that say, oh, I just want to go out and get killed for Jesus. That's that, definitely not it. But what are we sacrificing? What are, what are we doing? What, what are we given to plant churches? What, how, much, how much, I mean, people lived daily drinking any word from God. They met daily. We're trying to get people to do three hours a week. Three to be. These guys are 24 to be. Now, the cool thing is, many people in here, you guys, you guys are, are the cream of the crop here at Cornerstone. You guys are the leaders. You guys are the ones that are out there. I'm, I've seen many of you. You guys are over in India. You're over in Kenya. You're over on second. By the way, there's second Saturday this Saturday where we go out and we become the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what's going to change Chandler. That's what's going to build buildings. That's what's going to present the gospel to the nations. And I love Acts because we see examples like Paul. We see examples like Stephen. And, it, and it's powerful. And we see what happened. All those great, great words in Ephesians were written to the church of Ephesus. All those great words in Galatians were written to the church of Galatia. And it's powerful. And so we're going to have a couple uh, opportunity for a couple questions. Let's close in prayer and then we'll do some questions. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, we thank you for the early church. What a, what a foundation. What a foundation. What an example they, they lived. We thank you for those, as we see in Hebrews 11, who went through incredible pain, torture, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you give us wisdom. Give us the, the ability to see things the way you do. To be able to see you as, as holy and just. To be able to see your message as a priority in our lives. Uh, the message of the gospel. That Jesus is God. That he came to this earth. God became man. Word became flesh. He died and was crucified willingly, was buried and rose again, conquering sin and death. Heavenly Father, let that message pour off our mouths and our tongues. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this church. I, I thank you so much for the people that are in this room. And, and I look out here and I see the leaders of this church. And, and I do see the sacrifice. Oh my goodness, the sacrifice that has come out of these purple chairs here. Bless them. Encourage them to keep living that life worthy of the call that you've given them. Heavenly Father, but also burden us to not stop. And when we get beaten down and we're to the point of death, that the minute we rise, we go right back to that city. We go right back to that person and say, no, you need to know about Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, encourage those of us in here who are going through hard times. And, and I, I don't want to minimize the persecution and some of the pain that is in this room. Give us encouragement. Give us faith to know that you are God and that you are watching our every move. And, you're, and we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses that just cheers us on. Heavenly Father, be with this church. Um, give the leadership wisdom, again, to see things the way you do. Be with Lynn. Encourage him. Heavenly Father, protect us during this series. This series is a dangerous series. 
um, to be talking about and protect us through that. And we thank you so much for what's happening. We thank you that Mama Sapora landed today at the airport and, and we get to be encouraged by her um, this next weekend. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for the mothers, my mother in the front row. We thank you for their sacrifice. Um, um, and I just pray that this Sunday that they're celebrated. And, and we just thank you so much for all that you do. We love you and we praise you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, we've got time for a couple questions. Um, any, any questions out there? I know Kaboom shoots out in about five minutes. Anything? And, of course, I'll be up here afterwards. Anything? Bueller? Bueller? Nothing? Oh, yes. Oh, there you are. Look at you. <laughs> One of our India missionaries. <laughs> What's up, Blake? All right, Chris. He said uh, that Paul took some time out to connect the dots. Uh, is there... Some verses about that. Yeah, if you if you go back um, and you look right right after he um, um, has the encounter, we talked a little bit about this Sunday, but right after he has that encounter um, with Jesus and and he sees the rec- resurrected Jesus, and and there's all indication that he he might not have seen. Jesus during that 40 day. So on this road to Damascus, when Jesus finally just sort of stops this scene, we see as Paul then takes a little bit of a break and he moves from that point on and leading all the way up to chapter 13, where he's still, he's not out there evangelizing. He's still in a local church. He's in Antioch and finally the Holy Spirit. So if you, if you read those, basically those chapters between, between chapter eight and chapter 12, you'll see this whole transition from the, the Saul, the tyrant into, into, um, Paul. Any others out there? All right, let's just close in a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, bless us. Um, be with those kaboomers over there. I pray that they learned a lot tonight and um, they're, um, and just be with them. And Heavenly Father, um, I pray for this next Sunday um, as we meet um, Journey 180. Uh, continue um, to pour your word out. Um, we're so excited for what's going to be happening this Sunday um, at 1155. And Heavenly Father, bring us back safely this next Tuesday. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.